The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. I am doing a two-week series starting today and the next week about happiness. And I was motivated to do this series because I'm watching as our world continues to struggle with something we've struggled with ever since we began, which is finding true, authentic happiness no matter what. And the illusion that we suffer from so pervasively, it seems at times, that we can't be happy and all the excuses why we can't be happy and how much time and energy we focus about why we can't be happy right now because that's happening or that happened or this occurred or this is my life or my story or I had a bad day, all these sort of things. When, When our teaching and teachings throughout the ages and philosophers and researchers and teachers have said, happiness is right where you are. And your moment is right now. It's the, in the eternal now, and it's about letting yourself shine. So I want to talk about that this week and next week. And my goal, that I'll just tell you, my goal is to convince myself and all who hear this That we can be happy no matter what. We can experience happiness no matter what. And so if that is appealing to your heart and your soul, and I think the reason it is for many of us is something in us knows this, but we don't always know exactly how to go from, well, I, I believe that and I think that's so, to face the, the conditions and situations of our life and still reveal this truth. So I want to start today and focus today on a story that I uh, discovered or rediscovered about an elderly gentleman, a wisdom keeper in our world, who I think really had right in the center of happiness. And so a person writes, wrote this story, and here's how it goes. A 92-year-old, petite, well-poised, and proud man who was fully dressed each morning by 8 o'clock with his hair fashionably coiffed and shaved perfectly, even though he is legally blind, moved to a nursing home today. His wife of 70 years recently passed away, making the move necessary. After many hours of waiting patiently in the lobby of the nursing home, he smiled sweetly when told his room was ready. As he maneuvered his walker to the elevator, I provided a visual description of his tiny room, including the eyelet sheets that had been hung on his window. I love it, he stated with the enthusiasm of an eight-year-old having just been presented with a new puppy. Mr. Jones, you haven't even seen the room. Just wait. Mr. Jones replied, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Happiness is something you decide on ahead of time. Whether I like my room or not doesn't depend on how the furniture is arranged. It's how I arrange my mind. I already decided to love it. It's a decision I make every morning when I wake up. I have a choice. I can spend the day in bed recounting the difficulty I have with the parts of my body that no longer work, or get out of bed and be thankful for the ones that do. Each day is a gift, and as long as my eyes open, I'll focus on the new day and all the happy memories I've stored away. 
And this story made me think. He goes on to recount what he calls the five rules of happiness. And that's my message topic today. I have taken those five rules that were just listed in the story, and I'm choosing to expand upon them a bit and to express them, share them from his perspective, but also share them from my and our perspective as a teaching. How is it that we could live the way this gentleman lives and wake up every day despite any conditions in our life or in the world and still feel effective and feel like we're going forward and we're expressing ourselves and we're making a difference and yet have below the surface a sense of joyfulness and happiness at another day to be alive and be doing this beautiful work, whatever it is we're doing. My little gig easy just doesn't, I'm not happy about this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it doesn't want to stay there. Oscar Wilde says, some cause happiness wherever they go, others whenever they go. <laughs> yeah, you know that, right? So... I know that what I want to be is someone who causes happiness wherever I go. And in order to do that, I've got to embrace my inner happiness. So the five rules of happiness begin first with free your heart from hatred. Free your heart from hatred. And I would include in this definition, in this rule, that hatred, uh, it, it, it develops, it becomes the, the sense of our beingness because of some things like resentment and judgment and disconnect, anger, unhealed anger, that we find ourselves hating conditions and situations and people because we are caught up in the habits of mind and heart and beingness that are those somewhat negative and challenging emotions. And so this rule that just says, free your heart from that, it, it, it's easy to say it, right? What if I just said, just free your heart from anger, move hatred, let's move on now. It, it's easy to say it, but I really want to dig deeper into well, how can we possibly do that? How can we find ourselves able to let go of those, those feelings and thoughts and energies that lead us into that kind of negative sense, whether it's just hatred or animosity or resistance to what appears to be so? And I have found that um, these feelings persistently don't have a lot of good to offer me. I don't know about you, but, you know, it's, I, I find it myself fascinated. I was talking to a friend yesterday, asking myself, what possibly motivates me to hang on to that stuff? What good do I think is going to come of it for myself or anyone in my life? And sometimes I think I have hung on to it out of some twisted sense of safety that if I know that someone has hurt me in the past and I continue to resent them for it, then somehow I'll be able to see it coming in the future if it ever comes towards me again. Uh, sometimes hanging on to it uh, can prove to me, well, I'm right, of course. I'm very right about how angry I am am and look how horrible they are and so I get to be right and somehow that causes me to have a sense of feeling good but ultimately what I know in my soul about these feelings is that they are they're killers 
They're killers of healthy cells in our body. They're killers of, of our of awareness of joy. And it's fascinating to me because our world and our culture resists death. We may say to ourselves, well, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace about dying. I'm at peace about my transition to the next plane. But we look around at the world and the, some of the things that we're angry and resentful about are the ways that people die. You know, that death is the enemy. Death is this horrible thing that we should avoid at all costs. And, if, and we hate people who are causing death and we, we resent them and we want them to stop. And we think death is just the most horrible thing that could ever happen to anyone. And while I totally am for the full embrace of life, in my world, life is life even in that transition into the next experience. It's a different form of life. And while I'm not going to do anything to hasten my own death or another's, I certainly am not going to see this death experience as the ultimate enemy. But here's the thing. Hanging on to hatred is like causing your own death. And we sometimes go for years without being willing to effectively take a stand and deal with and move through and allow ourselves to do the holy sacred work of healing the parts of us that are in anger, resentment, hatred, and judgment. We, we allow ourselves to lollygag in it for whatever reason. And what I've come to see about myself, my life, and the life we share together is that I've got to have the emotional and spiritual courage always to move beyond those things and do the holy work in my own soul that allows me to do that. And so what I've discovered is that those feelings are not landing places for me. They can't be landing places if I say I want to live fully and happily. They rather are emotions and habits of mind, feelings, uh, a sense of beingness that, that is in my experience that becomes feedback for me. That when I'm starting to feel, if I look at something or someone and I find myself full of judgment or I find myself resenting someone or being persistently angry about something or someone, now those feelings have become feedback that says, oh, clearly I have some work to do. In years past, though, it was clearly you need to change so I can be happy. <laughs> as soon as you change, I'll give up my resentment. But now I've come to realize I have to take full responsibility for living my vibrant life and claiming my joy and happiness and doing the work of releasing my sense of resentment. And so that means some really important things to me. It means that I have to, to stand in the awareness of this and find my way out of it through tools like forgiveness and letting go and putting myself in, those place, in the place of that other person and recognizing that my negative emotions, I don't have to be the victim of them. See, many of us say, well, I can't be happy because I feel these horrible feelings. And what I, what I realize is in doing that holy work, those emotions are great gifts to me. And I didn't always feel that way. And I didn't always have that capacity. 
My, uh, I've often shared in classes and maybe even from this stage before that my upbringing was such that I, I won't tell you my whole life story, so don't worry. <laughs> we're not going there. But I do have this portion of it is really important to me. My parents were very young. They were teenagers when they had me. And, and that brought its own challenge of the ignorance of just having a child so young. But my father especially was, was rather, um, I would say, challenged. And he was very uncomfortable with emotionality. So much so that to prevent it, in any, it seemed like his rule was he could be as emotional as he wanted to be. But the rest of us had to sort of be emotional only when he said it was okay. Only when he was comfortable with it. And so he uh, controlled all feelings in the house to the best of his ability with his words and his actions with his physicality. And so it was all spectrum of emotion. Sometimes he would be upset if we were angry or if we were crying, which was completely unacceptable. Multiple messages given about don't you dare cry, don't you dare feel, don't you have any feeling that I don't say you can have, or even happiness and joy if we were giggling and laughing and having a good time and it was disturbing him in any way. And so he became this controlling person to us. And I was always very compliant and always did my best to, to do what he wanted me to do. And so I became habitually aware of either I have to be sure my father isn't around in order to feel my emotions and be where I am authentically, or I have to assess where he is and then only feel what feels appropriate. And if I missed my mark, I suffered the consequences. And as I grew older, this, this control that he had uh, became pervasive. And when my parents divorced and he wasn't living in our household, for a long time I spent time being angry with him about this and frustrated and resentful at him about this until I realized he was going on with his own life and kind of pursuing his happiness while I was standing there being resentful all the time. And then I found this place, this teaching I started taking classes. I went to workshops. I did all sorts of work on myself and classes. Got into practitioner training. That'll transform your emotional body for sure. Got into ministerial school. Continued to do work. Had relationships. Healed and healed and healed. And eventually reclaimed what I would call my emotions or what Eckhart Tolle calls the emotional body. I reclaimed it for myself in its fullness, in all of its glory, and decided and felt the, the total joy of all of the spectrum of emotions. You see, some of us will say, well, I can't be happy because I have resentment towards so-and-so, or I hate that that's happening. For me, I can say, wow, I can see my resentment, and I'm so happy that I can see it, because when I can see it, I can heal it. I can work on it. I can do something about it. I can lead myself back into happiness. And I realized uh, in the last number of years that while that was a difficult experience of my childhood, that was the greatest gift my father gave me. Because I have the gift of tears. I have the gift of angry tears and frustrated tears. And I have the gift of the tears of justice. And I have the gift of the tears of happiness and joy. And I have the gift of the tears of compassion. 
And I so have that gift now that I allow myself to cry and and feel the full range of emotions and underneath is this bed of happiness just to be alive and feel those feelings. And I allow myself that indulgence. I will never apologize for my tears and I will not accept Kleenex most of the time when I cry now because I want to feel them on my face. I often joke about I want to feel the snot and the tears and all the... I want to feel it fully. Because for so long, I couldn't. I couldn't. I wasn't allowed to. And now I'm all grown up. And I'm healed. And I'm allowed to. So I am definitely not saying that being a happy person means that we never feel all of that range of happiness and even that hatred. But we learn to facilitate ourselves beyond it so that we're living in the fullness of our beingness and can say, wow, I am so angry right now. I can feel it. That means there's some work for me to do, and I'm so happy to be alive. I'm happy to be alive and to be a feeling person, that the the full range of our beingness has to do with feeling that. So we allow ourselves to move beyond our hatred. I love Rumi who says in his poem, this being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight, the dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. The guest house. So the second rule that our wonderful wise man offers us is free your mind from worries. Free your mind from worries. E. Stanley Jones says, worry is advance interest you pay on tomorrow's problems and you may go bankrupt worrying about the things that never come. Worry does not serve us. It's a habit of mind that we can practice letting go of. And because it is a habit, we have been often convinced that it we have to be convinced that it doesn't serve because so many of us are prone to worry and we've kind of been conditioned to think that if I'm worrying about something, that means I care about it. If I'm worrying about somebody, it means I care about it. I mean, how many of us, when someone says, I've been so worried about you, go, oh, that's so sweet of you, right? Worry has become this, this sort of place where we think we're connecting. But worrying is a habit of mind that that disempowers us. And it really is a habit that has to be overcome. And like most habits of mind, it takes a willingness to be aware, to say, oh gosh, I am a worrier. And then to set an intention to say, I know it doesn't serve me to worry. And then to to interrupt the pattern. So I, fi- I found myself, I've been experimenting with, uh, the minute I find myself worrying, 
challenging myself to think about something beautiful, to think about a sunset, to shift my awareness, to get up and walk around, to, to uh, have a new thought, ultimately, to understand and to accept for myself that my worrying about things does no good to support them. Our founder, Ernest Holmes, even says, worry is misuse of prayer. Because every thought we have is a prayer. When we're worrying about something or someone, we're just adding to the energy of what we say we don't want. And so it behooves us to break that pattern and to to allow ourselves to let go of worry. The third rule that we are given is live simply. Live simply. And to me, this is all about how it really often is the simple things in life that, that elude us from our happiness. We're get, we get so busy trying to find our happiness that we don't realize how simple it is. In this time that I've had away, I've noticed that it is often the most simple things that have caused me to feel deep contentment. I think this is why so many of us crave time in nature just to sit by a lake and watch the water or to watch the wind blowing through the trees, very simple. And yet there's something that is reflective of our inner attunement in those kind of situations that we get to realize, look, finding my happiness isn't as complicated as I make it sound. So many of us, here's our story. Well, I'll be happy if he'll say this and she'll do this and then that will happen and then we'll go here and then if this situation changes and if they go away but they come forward and then if I win the lottery, (laughs) then I can be happy. It's that old, of course, I'll be happy win scenario and it doesn't serve. It doesn't serve us at all to play that game and so finding our happiness is is born out of these simple, simple things that we can allow ourselves to have, playing music and being in nature. I have discovered that, um, that cleaning and organizing things, the ultimate outcome of that is I feel happy, content, Being with people and having wonderful conversations. Being in communities like this where people invite me back into the truth of who I am. I feel happy. I I feel it because, not because those things make me feel happy, but I access that, that innate part of me that is my true joy and it just bubbles up. And that it is simple if I allow it to be for it to bubble up. Happiness isn't as complicated as we make it. And that as we seek out those little simple moments where we can find our happiness, that we begin to discover that at the core of us, no matter what the conditions are, there's a sense of contentment and happiness and joy to meet the challenges of the day. Because we begin to trust that within us that knows that it's bigger than any challenge we face. And where we lose our happiness is when we forget this. And we think our challenges are bigger than our ability. And it's not ability that you've learned in school or ability you've learned from life experience even. It's the ability that lives at the core of who we are to meet whatever comes our way. And when we open the door and allow that happiness to come through us, let it bubble up on a regular basis, it's, it's like this it's like a bank account 
that gets full and we can meet whatever challenges of the day we encounter. The next one I really want to spend some time on, number four, love more. Sounds simple. Ah, just love more and you'll be a lot happier. Okay, everybody got it? Let's go home. Call the ushers forward. No. <laughs> love more. Finding our way into love. Self-love, love of others, love of the very life we're living. That's a core part of happiness for sure. Love is what we are. Love is what we reside in. And so throughout my time away, I was asking myself a lot, how could I be more in tune with, with love today? How could be, I be more in tune? And in, indeed, I got into this place in my meditation time where I, I felt that desire. I've had some pretty transcendent experiences in my lifetime around spirit and love, the love that God is. Moments that came, like Barry's song. My moment came and I felt the all-encompassing love. And to feel that brought me great joy. So I went into my time away in, in my daily meditations with somewhat of a demand placed upon the universe and God and my own soul. I want to feel that again. And so I dedicated myself to long times of meditation. And I would go into those times of meditating and, and wanting to feel that love and wanting to deepen into it, wanting to have it and wanting to be it. And I had a day where I was really kind of feeling frustrated because it felt like not much was happening. It was kind of empty and I, w I was meditating and I was feeling great peace, but I wasn't feeling what I thought I should be feeling. And that's, I think, where a lot of people just give up on meditation. Well, I got distracted and nothing happened, nothing great happened, so I gave up. And thankfully, I continued to persist, persist. And what happened for me was that I had this image And it was actually an image of myself standing on this very area, in this very sanctuary, with this microphone on, this little teeny microphone on, that amplifies my sound. And me standing here, trying to give a talk, and demanding that someone turn the sound on. Well, all the while, I don't know if you've noticed, but right now... Um, I am currently amplified. You can hear my voice, I believe. And uh, Nathan, our wonderful sound technician, has the sound on. But I saw myself standing on this stage demanding, someone turn the sound on. I want the sound on. I would like to have the sound turned on, please. Please turn the sound on. And I was shouting at the universe, I want the sound turned on. And it wasn't enough. And so I was looking at some of you saying, will you turn, will you, somebody go back, Nathan, stamping my little feet and looking back at Nathan, who's standing back there going, it, it is on. What are you talking about? And you all looking at me like, it is, it, it is on, Michelle. You, you got it. And as I went through this vision and I thought, what is that about? That inner voice said, you already have it. That's what you're demanding of me. You're in it. You got it. It never goes away. So when this says love, love, love more, and we say I want to love more. I need more love. I need to feel more love. We're, we're in the midst of it. 
And our work isn't to get it and bring it to us, which will bring us happiness. Our work is, I saw suddenly as though my being was like the aperture of a camera. And it was all about every day choosing to open consciously that aperture, to open it and allow it to have its way through my body, through my cells, through my words and my actions, through my beingness. And that the more that I do that, the more I access true happiness. And so I began, instead of seeking out, I want to feel the love that God is, I began my meditations by spending a lot of time imagining opening that aperture as widely as I could. And I noticed that upon opening it and feeling the flow of that love, my next inclination was to share it. And so my meditations took on this this absolute joyful sending out of this love to everything and everyone. I sent it to my family and my my friends, and I sent it to those I love. I sent it to the leaders of the world. I sent it to every politician. I sent it to every being on this planted planet, and I sent it to you, my beloved community. And I, I don't even know some of you, and I loved you every day that I could, and I sent great love and affirmation for life being magnificent for all of us, individually and collectively. I sent it to every child in our community, to every elder, to every millennial, to every minister, to every staff member and practitioner and board member. I had a love fest every day, and I would come out of those meditations so filled with happiness and bliss. Because to love more is to allow that love to have its way with us and then to give it away. And everything in the research, which I will present next week, says to us that if we want to be happier, one of the secrets to happiness is to be generous. And you may think and tell yourself a story, I don't have enough to give. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough energy to give to people. But what you and I have always is this ability to stop at any moment and open our heart and our beingness and send that love out. And in that very act, we find the truth of who and what we are. And that becomes what can bring the greatest bliss that we could ever, ever imagine. Love more. His final rule for happiness surprised me a bit. And it was expect less. And I often have conversations with my beloved husband about what gets us tripped up in our communication or if we have conflicts or if we're having frustrations with life or other people, it's because we had some expectation in our hearts and we were disappointed by that. And in that disappointment, we feel ripped off or unhappy. And what he's suggesting, I think, is that let every situation be what it is instead of what you think it should be. Meet situations and people where they are. Bring your love and your light and your truth and your wholeness to them. And let go and acknowledge. A lot of times Ken and I will say, well, 
when I let go of my expectation that they did X, Y, Z, I could be with them right where they are and I could, I could then be proactive. So it's not about not having an expectancy of good and light. It's about in the realm of human conversations, learning to expect less, lobbing our expectations of how people should behave and act and talk and be, letting those go for the sake of happiness and connection with each other. Try practicing these rules with me this week. Our wonderful, wise person goes on to say in in the telling of this story, old age is like a bank account. You withdraw from it what you've put in. So my advice to you would be to deposit a lot of happiness in the bank account of memories. And I think that's so wise. To recognize and own that if we practice these laws and if we do this work, this holy work, that we can experience the core happiness that lives within us, give it out into the world and experience it more while also walking forward and meeting the challenges that we face individually and collectively from that sense of joy, from that sense of possibility, from that sense of seeing the bigger picture and truly from a place of love and connection, where transformation and light can shine through. Thank you for your part in filling my memory bank. Thank you for allowing me to pray for you and to send love. Thank you for allowing me to love you and for loving me, because our love is truly transformational. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.